We have an excellent crowd this morning. We're very happy for everyone that has come to be with us in the service. <clears throat> I hope the study of the morning will help us to be more appreciative of Christ. I hope the study will help us understand the superiority of the new covenant over the old covenant. I want to talk for a while this morning about the law and about Christ, and Lord willing, this evening we will get down and focus a little bit more on some scriptures that say exactly what happened to the law. What is this? Well, those old Bibles we took out, we had some that were in real bad shape, and I took one of them. And I went over to the end of Deuteronomy and cut that off. And I took this to Clifford and he made me a cover for it. And so this is the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. People have a hard time defining the law sometimes. That's what the law is. And I want you to understand that that's what we mean by the term the law. Those five books. This was the Bible that the children of Israel had when they entered the promised land. This was all there was. There was no more. That looks pretty thin to us today when we think about a thick Bible, doesn't it? There were 613 commands in this law. That sounds like a lot. I don't know if anybody's ever counted the ones in the New Testament. But that's what we're talking about when we mention the law in our lesson this morning. Why this sermon on the law? There's more controversy in the religious world over the law than any other subject. There's almost as many beliefs about the law as there are different kinds of churches. We need to try to get it right. T-H-E, the law. What does that mean? That's the, the there is the singular definite article. It means the law, this law, this particular law. That's what we're talking about, not any other laws. As we think about the law and why people want to follow parts of the law, they really don't want the whole Old Testament. I don't know of any church in America today that would teach that we have to keep all of the Old Testament. What they want out of the Old Testament is either the Sabbath or the feast days, primarily. But nobody wants it all. That's called picking and choosing. Marlon Cole would call that cafeteria religion. I want this, I don't want that. I don't want that, I want this. Is that the way we're supposed to interpret the Bible? I'm going to mention some particular doctrines and churches, and I'm not trying to pick anybody, pick on anybody. I just want to make the point how people try to interpret the law. 
The Mormons went back to the law of Moses to get polygamy. They couldn't find it in the New Testament. The Catholics went back to the law to get the priesthood. They couldn't find it in the New Testament. Some people go back to the law to get the Sabbath day. There's no Sabbath command in the New Testament. Many denominations want to go back to the law to get instrumental music because it's, it's never mentioned as something that Christians did. And on and on we could go, but that illustrates the point. Why are all these people teaching different things? Because they only want to take some of that law. But you know, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2, when Moses gave the law, he said, don't add to this law, don't subtract from this law. It's not up to us to change what God has said. If we're under the law, we're under the law. Every jot and every tittle and every precept. And if we're not under the law, then none of it is to us today as commandments to follow. So there's a few people that say, well, we're supposed to keep every command in the Bible. Do you know anybody that does that? Do you know anybody that offers animal sacrifices? Do you know anybody that goes to Jerusalem, God's appointed place, to offer those sacrifices three times a year? That's what the law demanded. Do you know anybody that's got a banister around the edge of their house to keep anyone from falling off? Do you know that's one of those 613 commandments in the law? Did you know that the law says you can't wear a garment made of two different fibers? You know anybody follows all that? I certainly don't. But people take the scissors and cut up the law and pick and choose what they want and leave out the rest. Obviously, many, many people are trying to keep part of the law. But when the law was given, they were told that they must follow all the words of this law. All the words. Not some of them, not part of them. Over and over it says you're to keep all the words of this law. The reason that people want to go back to the law is because they cannot find authority for many practices that people have in their religion. And they cannot find them in the New Testament. And so if they want to try to authorize them, then they must go back to the Old Testament to get authority to practice those things. The most important Scripture probably that I could read to you today is Deuteronomy 27, 26, and I believe it's on page number 177 in the Pew Bibles.
Deuteronomy 27, 76. I'm sorry, I got my tongue tied. Deuteronomy 27, 26. And here's what it says. Cursed is he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. And that's what the people said. Amen. We agree. We concur. We'll keep all of it. That's called the curse of the law by the Apostle Paul. There's a number of curses mentioned right here in this chapter. That's one of them. Cursed is he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. Is there anybody here this morning that would confirm or defend all the laws in the Old Testament? I would seriously doubt if there is. But he said, if you won't confirm that, you won't say amen to that, then you're under God's curse. Those are strong, strong words. It's not a good thing to be under the curse of God. But he said, if you're going to follow the law, you've got to follow it with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. You've got to follow it. All of it. I want to go now to Galatians 3 where Paul quotes this scripture. If you're following along, Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. See, there was people coming into the church at Galatia and trying to get people to follow parts of the law. And Paul says, As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. He quoted Deuteronomy 27, 26 verbatim. And he said, if you're going to go back and start trying to keep parts of that law, if you don't keep it all, you're under the curse of God. And he said, Jesus came to deliver us from the curse of the law. That's what he's talking about. We're not under that law. Not any jot, not any tittle, not any part of that law are we as Christians under? It does not have anything to do with us today. When God appeared to Abraham, and He made those promises to Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to uh, make your decision, uh, pardon me, your descendants a great nation, and I'm going to bring the Messiah. Through your seed. I want you to know that the land promise and this go together. 
They went by Mount Sinai before they went to the promised land to get this right here. What's written in this book? They got it at Mount Sinai. 430 years after the promises made to Abraham. This is what they got at Mount Sinai. This was their constitution. You see, Israel didn't have separation of church and state. They had one law for their nation, and so their national law and their religious law was the same law. And it's recorded here. And he told those people, if you don't continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, you're under the curse of God. That's a pretty big burden, isn't it? Do you really want to go back and place yourself in that position by following the Old Testament? People need to be serious about this. What Paul is teaching is it's all or none. If you're subject to the law, you're subject to every jot and every tittle. That's what Jesus said. And if you're not under the law, you're not under the law. Well, somebody says, well, why isn't that law still in effect? That's what we hope to prove today. Every practice that we have here, it's the elders' desire of this congregation to find authority for it in the New Testament. And there's a lot of things that we're asked, well, why don't y'all do this over there northwest? And our simple answer is we don't find authority for that in the, script, in the New Testament Scriptures. And we try to stay by that because we believe that's what these verses are saying. It's all or none. It's not Moses and Christ. It's Moses or Christ. Who are we going to follow religiously? Moses set up a religion. Jesus set up a religion. But you know, Moses doesn't answer our prayer, and he doesn't forgive our sins, and he doesn't dictate our religious beliefs. Jesus does that. And so we follow him, not Moses, and we get authority for our practices from the New Testament. I want you to know, young people, that this is a really big deal. And there's a lot of confusion about it. And I hope by tonight that we'll have cleared that up. But I want you to know that the only place that this law really could be followed was in Canaan. It really couldn't be followed other places. And we'll have more to say about that tonight. And so the land and the law 
went together. They couldn't practice that outside of Israel. There were no priests outside of Israel. There were no prophets of God. This is the only place that that law could actually be followed as Deuteronomy 27 demanded. How are you going to go to Jerusalem three times a year to worship if you live in America? You realize what that's going to cost? So let's just decide, we all decided we're going to keep the law. Three times a year, we would practically vacate the earth and have to go to Jerusalem. How are you going to get all those people over there? Where are you going to put them when they get there? See, it's not even practical. And that's why I say it's impossible for people to keep the law unless it's people that live there. The law of God was never given to any other nation but Israel. This law was never given to the Egyptians. It was never given to the Assyrians. It was never given to the Romans. It was never given to the Americans. It wasn't given to them. The first words of Moses was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Hear who? O Israel, contrast that with the great commission of Jesus. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The New Testament is for the entire world. The law of Moses was for one nation, Israel, and one nation only. Somebody says, are you sure about that? Well, let's read a couple of scriptures and see what they say. Psalms 147, verse number 19. He showeth his word unto Jacob, or Israel, his statutes unto Israel, pardon me, and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any other nation. That says he didn't deal with other nations by giving them this law. Notice what else this says. They have not known them. Why? They were never given to them. That's why they didn't know them. That's why they didn't have a knowledge. Malachi 4.4 Remember ye the law of Moses my servant which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. That's who was commanded to keep that law. Romans 2.14, Paul said, The Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves. The Gentiles were never given the law. You and I are Gentiles. God never gave that law to us. It wasn't intended for us.
When Jesus died on the cross, the unique relationship that he had, that God had with Israel, ended. They killed his son. They said, We don't want God, we don't want you. We don't want your son. And they lost that special standing with God that they'd had for 1,500 years. Some of these people will tell you that the law was given in the beginning. And the reason that they make that argument is because they want to claim that Adam kept the Sabbath, Abraham kept the Sabbath, Noah kept the Sabbath. You couldn't read that in, from the Bible if your life depended on it. Because it's not true. The Bible doesn't say that. But the Bible does have some things to say about that subject. Did not Moses give you the law, Jesus asked? You can't give somebody something they've already got. There's numerous passages that say, Moses gave the law to Israel. Did Moses give the law to Israel or did he not give it to them? How could he give it to them if they already had it? So there couldn't have, it couldn't have been given before Moses. There's nothing said about any of these people living back there keeping the Sabbath. But you see, you can't find a place in the New Testament where it says keep the Sabbath holy. So you've got to try to get some credibility and traction if you're going to teach that. So let's just say, well, it's always been that way. No, it hasn't always been that way. The Sabbath was a sign between God and one nation, Israel. That's stated in, Deuter in uh, yeah, Deuteronomy 31 and also over in uh, Ezekiel 20. That separated and set them apart from everybody else in the world because they had a peculiarity They rested on Saturday. In Hebrews 9 it says, He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. And he's talking about covenants there. And this, by the way, was God's covenant with Israel. It's called the book of the law. Sometimes it's called the book of the covenant because it contains the law or the covenant. God, Jesus took away the first to give the second. You see, you can't have two laws in effect at the same time. Think about the contradictions in trying to follow that. Well, I'm trusting in Moses to be forgiven of my sin by an animal sacrifice. Well, not me. I'm trusting in Jesus to take away my sin by His blood. 
Can you see the problems, the contradictions? Jeremiah prophesied in Jeremiah 31, 31, that the days were coming when he would make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that he made when he took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. It was going to be a different covenant. It was going to have new days of worship. It was going to have a different sacrifice, you see. That first covenant was dedicated with the blood of animals. And so we read that Moses spoke every precept according to the law. And the Levites put their blood on that book. I want you to notice that the Levites put the blood on the book. Oh, people want to follow those Ten Commandments and teach them that they're a law for us today because they want to get the Sabbath over here. God didn't take the blood and sprinkle the stones in the Ark of the Covenant. We wouldn't know about the stones if it wasn't for this book. Here's how God sanctified the law with animal blood. The priest sprinkled the book and all of the people. But Jesus took that out of the way. The Bible in Hebrews 9.15 says Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. The New Testament. If you look in your Bible, it'll say here toward the front, the Old Testament. When you get to the end of Malachi, there'll be a title page in there. It says, the New Testament. They're different. They're very different. The Bible tells us that the New Covenant is better. And it's established upon better promises and better sacrifices. The blood of Jesus is far superior to animal blood. The Old Testament said, if you'll serve, God said, if you'll serve me, I'll give you a little old vineyard down here or a little farm down here in the country of Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus said, if you'll follow me, I'll give you a mansion in heaven and eternal life and a resurrection. How can you compare the promises and say, I want the farm over in Israel. See, it was an inferior law <clears throat> with inferior sacrifices. The first covenant was made at Sinai. The second covenant was made at Calvary. By the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus tasted death for every man. And the Bible says there was a first and there was a second 
covenant. By the which will, the second one, a will and a covenant, same thing. If you've got a will, it says last will in the Testament. By the second will, we are sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Did you realize that Jesus lived and died under that covenant? He was a Jew. And that covenant was in effect until His death. He was subject to every jot and every tittle of those 613 commandments, and He kept them perfectly and never sinned one time for 33 years. That's what made Him such a valuable sacrifice to God that could take away our sin. What else was valuable to God? When He reviled, He reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. How else could He have been sinful? Pardon me, been sinless if He hadn't been under a law. Because there would have been nothing to condemn Him, but He lived under that law and kept it perfectly. Who His own self bare our sins in His body on the tree. As Jesus died on the cross, He paid the penalty for our sin. And Hebrews said, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. That's a quotation from Psalms 40. Did you know that the old law prophesied of the new law? Yeah, it did, several places. Psalms 40 is one of them. Jeremiah 31, 31 is another one. It prophesied there would be another law later that would take its place. A superior law. One given by the perfect sacrifice. One given by the king of kings. And so when Jesus... died there and offered His body upon the cross. That was all according to God's will because the prophecy said, I come to do Thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. Did you know it was God's will for Jesus to take away the old covenant? That by dying on the cross, Jesus was doing the will of God to cancel the law? 
That was part of the purpose of his death. There were probably several purposes of his death, but two of them was one, he took away our sin debt, and two, he took away the law. Whatever took away means, that's what it means. And whatever he did with our sins is what he did with the law. He took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. So we wouldn't be under that curse of Deuteronomy 27, 26. Aren't you glad he did both of those things? In Deuteronomy chapter 5, the second law, the record of the giving of the law, I want you to notice, The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. What does that say? It said God didn't make this covenant with Adam. God didn't make this covenant with Noah. God didn't make this covenant with Abraham. That's what that says. No, the law was not in the beginning. The law was not to write here when Moses is speaking these words. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers. He didn't do it. Who did He make it with? Moses said, us, who are all of us here, alive, this day. This day. Not before this day, but this day. And so when Jesus was up on the cross... And he had fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. There was given him vinegar on a sponge. You know why? That was one of the prophecies. It's the last one he's going to fulfill. And he drank of that. And the Bible says he gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain. Colossians 2.14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. Moses wrote that book. It's called the book of Moses, the book of the law, the book of the Lord. But Moses hand wrote all of it. And Colossians 2.14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. There's what happened to the law. It was taken out of the way. There's a lot of questions I know some of you are going to have because I don't have time to cover all of them. People say, well, what about Jesus keeping that law? He had to keep it. He was a Jew. It was in effect till his death. So people say, well, Jesus went to Jerusalem at the Passover. Jesus went into the synagogue as his custom was on the Sabbath. We ought to be keeping the Sabbath. That's not true. We were never under that law. Jesus was and he had to keep it every jot and every tittle. 
So don't be deceived by those kinds of statements that we got to do it because Jesus did it. He lived under a different law. In Deuteronomy 5, he told them that he wanted them to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That was given to the Jews. They were obligated to do that. No question about it. Verse 15, he says, And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Did you know that the Sabbath day was a memorial? It was. Moses said, I want you to remember this. God said, this is so important, I want you to do it every week so you don't forget that your ancestors were slaves in Egypt and I delivered them with an outstretched arm. They didn't win their independence. I walked in there with Moses and delivered them. Therefore, you remember that and don't work on the Sabbath. That's the reason they kept the Sabbath. It was a memorial of their ancestors' servitude in Egypt. Very fitting memorial that God gave them to observe every week. God never told us in the New Testament to do that. You know why? Our ancestors were never even in Egypt. What would that mean to us to keep that? So there's two covenants and two days. The seventh day is the seventh day Sabbath that's given in the law to the Jews. The New Testament says, Upon the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread, and Paul preached unto them. What did they come together for? To break bread, to partake of the communion, to remember Jesus. So are you going to follow Moses and go on Saturday and remember their deliverance from Egypt? Or are you going to come to church on Sunday and remember Jesus and what He did for you? Jesus took bread, blessed it, gave it to them, gave thanks. Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. He took the cup. He told them to drink ye all of it. And we do that when? Every Sunday. Now let me ask you a question. Do you know of anybody that goes to church on Saturday and remembers the deliverance of the Egyptians from, from deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage? And goes to church on Sunday and remembers what Jesus did for them? Do you know anybody that does both of those? I sure don't. So really it's a choice between Moses and Christ. Moses was a lawgiver. Christ was a lawgiver. Which one am I going to follow? 
I'll tell you what Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You can't do it. You can't do it. Because these two laws contradict each other in too many places. Because they were given at different times to different people for different reasons. But I want to ask you something this morning. If somebody comes and makes this appeal that, you know, I'm, I'm lost because I've never kept the Sabbath. They're calling upon me to give up what we're going to do here in a few minutes. To come a day earlier and remember the Egyptians leaving Egypt. Do you think I ought to do that? Folks, I'm not about to do that. Right here, every Sunday is the time I feel closest to God. And I'm not about to trade that to remember deliverance from Egyptian bondage. This is deliverance from sin and hell. That's what this represents. That's why we do it. Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, it was something God wanted us to do often because just like those people, He didn't want us to forget this. It's easy to forget things when we get busy. This is what He wants for you and I. And so, I'm going to close about time. I hope that you can appreciate the fact that Jesus came to do God's will not His own will, God's will to end that first law through offering His body on the cross. That's what Hebrews says. That that was what was accomplished by Him offering His body on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. And so we have passages like Colossians 2.14. He took it out of the way nailing it to His cross. And he says, don't let a man judge in respect of the new moon, the monthly feast. Don't let a man judge you on four things there, and I'm not going to be able to... But two of them was the monthly feast and also the Sabbath. Don't let a man judge you and tell you you've got to do that. Why? Because Jesus canceled that at the cross. And we're not obligated to do that. And I hope you'll remember that. We're going to extend an invitation. We always do that at the end of our service. If you're here this morning and you have a need in your life, if you need prayers of the church, if you've been thinking about being baptized and you'd like to do that this morning, we'd like to assist you with that. Or if you have some other need, if 
you'd come to the front this morning. We'll try to help you with that.